Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. The biggest key is once you find that coach and that team in that practice, come every single day. And I knew a lot of guys, they just couldn't get in there every day. They find that one reason not to go to practice, you know, find a hundred reasons to not go to practice instead of find that one reason to go. And it just seemed as though year after year, season after season and championship after championship, if I looked left and I looked right, the guys that had the biggest trophies were the guys that were at practice the most. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. So my guest this week is Chael Sonnen. Now, Chael is a self-proclaimed bad guy. He is often considered as one of the greatest all-time mixed martial artists to have never won a UFC championship. He started fighting in 1997, and Chael also has a wildly successful podcast called You're Welcome, where he dives into the whole MMA world. Um, he's an author. He's a M- uh, MMA analyst for ESPN, and he also founded the Submission Underground, so the SUG. Uh, he has his own submission wrestling promotion group, and he's widely regarded as one of the greatest trash talkers in MMA history. Check out our conversation. So I got my man Chael Sonnen uh, as a guest on my podcast this week. I'm excited to kind of hear a little bit about him and his his background and his story. Chell, what's going on, my man? Coach, what's happening? I'll tell you, I'm not in uh, Las Vegas. They got the uh, the welterweight championship. It's going to be this weekend. So I'm in my 11th quarantine. I got tested this morning. And what they have you do in the bubble is go report to your room and don't ever leave again. You bring your food. You bring your drink. You step out of the room, out of the bubble. You go home. Wow. It, hold on. Hold on. You guys to be, you have to be in your room. Yes. For how many days? There is a security guard at the door to, to show you how serious <laughs> they are about this. Yes. And plus they will also, as another level of checking, is they will call twice a day and you must answer. No excuse. I was in the shower. I took a nap. Nope. No. You miss one of those phone calls or you step out of the room, which is out of the bubble, you go to the airport. Now, okay. So how long have you been there? 
Okay, so I got in last night about 6 p.m., and it's around 2 in the afternoon right now. Okay. And I don't mind it. You know I mean? I got to tell you, like, there's a prison aspect where you can't leave, and it controls what you eat. But I love an excuse for a day off. I'm going to catch up on some Netflix. I, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I got a nice, nice little uh, cheese tray, cheese, and some Wheat Thins crackers, a six-pack of uh, Coca-Cola. I'm looking for – I'm going to have a nice nice day off here. But I'm here for three days. Three, three days I can't leave. Okay, three days. So what? Okay, so what's the show on Netflix that you're going to watch? Okay, um – it's not uh, Lupin, L-U-P-I-N, Lupin. I haven't checked it out yet. Only a trailer and a recommendation from a friend. It's a drama, but apparently, like it's a, it's an action hero type show. Lupin. Don't know much more about it. And I'm ran out of shows on Netflix. By the way, if you have a suggestion for me, I'm all ears. Oh man, well, uh, you know what? Have you watched um, Alone? No. Have you watched that? Okay, so check it. Alone is this show that it was on a History Channel. But you can go back into the different seasons and alone is where they drop you off in like remote places on Earth. And we watched season seven and they dropped off 10 people. So so they drop off 10 people and this is like up near the Arctic and you, and you get 10 things you get to pick to take with you and for survival, so for survival. They drop okay. you off. You got these 10 things and you're alone. There's no, you get your own, you're your own camera crew. They give you a bunch of cameras. They have, you know, they have you set it up. You have to do everything. And then it's who can survive the longest. And whoever survives the longest, they get half a million dollars. Wow. It was so interesting. The, the, uh, the psychic of, uh, of these people being out there by themselves. And some of them, they had all the tools. They had all the knowledge. But just them being by themselves for a week or two, not seeing anybody else. And all these people, they're they're not in the same area, so they don't get to communicate. They don't, you know, it, it's, it's yep. spread out. So You're alone. Right. they are alone. And to go through it and see it, it was a, it was amazing, man. So I, I so would coach, say that. Coach, by perspective, the winter, how long did the winter have to last? I mean, will a month do it? If you stay out there a month, are you getting your hand raised? Month. Who are you talking about? For me? Or, yeah, or them. Whoever wanted, like, for real, oh. on the season watch. Oh, oh, so the season I watched, it was, they lasted, my man Jordan lasted 70, 76 days. Wow. So but, over two months. Wow. But check it out, though, because I had him as a guest on my on my podcast. And so I had a chance to kind of dive in and, like, man, how did, his background was, was crazy. Like, this dude, this dude uh, was basically, he was raised, like, he jumped he was a hobo. And so he, he took yep. a train from where he was from in um, in Idaho all the way to Virginia. And he worked odd jobs and whatnot. And he ended up getting a job um, uh, building shelters um, in Russia. And he okay. spent off and on five to 10 years in Russia herding reindeer. Okay. So, so mentally, he was he, he, he was perfect for it. And check it out. Is he, um, he, in his mind, he was like, for me to win this, I got to stay out here for six months. He said okay. six months. So in his mind, he'd already had like a framework on what it was going to take. Yeah, it seems to me like you'd either need the kid whose dad spent a lot of time with him and taught him how to catch his own food and or you would need a ringer, like a Green Beret, a Navy SEAL type. But, yeah, being out, being outdoors and, and not freezing to death, let alone starving to death, or getting eaten by the by the wolves or the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things you'd have to deal with. That sounds very intense. That's right. That's right. And, and speaking of, like, mental, like, the framework, man, I, wanted, I want to talk to you about your background. Okay, so your background, being a fighter, an MMA fighter. What type of like mental framework did you have, let's just say early on in your career? Well, I came from the old school of wrestling, and the old school thought it was actually started up by a legendary coach named Dan Gable. Now, Dan Gable was never my coach, but a lot of his philosophies is what inspires all wrestling, and he just believed that you could turn pace, energy, cardio into a weapon. It would not matter who is better at the sport. If you can get one guy tired, you can have more points than he does. And uh, I came from that philosophy starting at nine years old. And even when I met and transitioned to Clayton Hires, 
it was the same philosophy. It was just hard work, fill that gas tank up, be ready to go harder, longer than your opponent. And if there's a better way to do it, nobody's ever told me. That is from, from day one until the final day of, of competition for me. That's what it was. I mean, how many miles could we put in? How early? How many sets of stairs with somebody on our back? I mean, it was just all about endurance. Uh, number one, and before, yeah, the techniques and the strategies, they were on the list too, for sure, but they were lower. Everything was below weaponizing pace, making the other guy quit. Work. 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 Yeah, uh. period. Gotcha. So so tell me, like being from the main streets of West Lynn, right, being from the main streets of West Lynn, yep. and I want to hear, man, because, like, I'm from Colorado Springs, okay? I'm from Colorado Springs, and, you know, we not – it's not all that tough. I mean, it's tough parts of it. But I always tell people, especially like these kids, like, you know, it's not about where you're from, man. It's not about where you're from. What, what is it about in your mind? Sure. I, I fully agree with you. Getting into the right environment, which is really quite simple. I mean, rule number one would be get around a coach that you trust. But then once you find the coach you trust, just by a byproduct, he's going to have a room. He's going to have set practices. He's going to have an environment with other like-minded, uh, goal-oriented people that are called your teammates. And then the biggest step, and here's the one that I've really seen over, over my course in all sports, amateur level up to the pros, the one that differentiates you is, is who can hang in there the longest. The biggest key is once you find that coach and that team in that practice, come every single day. And I knew a lot of guys, they just couldn't get in there every day. They'd find that one reason not to go to practice, you know, find a hundred reasons to not go to practice instead of find that one reason to go. And it just seemed as though year after year, season after season and championship after championship, if I looked left and I looked right, the guys that had the biggest trophies were the guys that were at practice the most. Mm, I like that. I like that. And then, you know, that comes to a, a point where, you know, I, I talk about like, man, your goals, your aspirations, what you want to do in life, man, they don't care how you feel, right? They don't care if you're tired or if you've had a bad night or not enough sleep. Those goals, those aspirations, they don't care. So a lot of times man, we, we get all kind of our, in our emotions and we let them kind of rule us. I fully agree with you. And, you know, at some point, you know, a man's got to be a man. I, I came from this fight business, and these guys are viewed as the real tough guys. And I'm looking around going, man, you guys are fake tough guys. You're asked to go to work three times a year, and you call in sick half the time. My father was a plumber, Alex. That was a hard job. He got up and faced the world with his boots on and his little lunch and his little sack every single day. Never missed a day of work. And it wasn't because he was sick or he didn't feel good. He had a job to do. And I couldn't imagine getting called on three times a year and disrespecting my father by saying, I'm, I, you know, I don't feel good enough to show up for work. It's one of those things, uh, you know, use the football players because we just got done with, with Super Bowl, but their schedule is set. And I've never heard of such a thing where Tom Brady's got to take the field, you know, opposite uh, another great quarterback. And all of a sudden he's going to go renegotiate or he's not going to suit up that day because it's too hard. This, the, the schedule is set. You show up every Sunday. You play to the best of your ability, which might not be as high as you want it to be for whatever reason, ailments or burnt out or what, but that's the deal. That's the deal that you made. you got to go honor your deal. And uh, you know, I watch a lot of those guys that, that don't feel that inside. They don't, they don't feel that it matters. But particularly in my sport, it does. It's, this isn't about who the toughest or who the best is. It's about who's the toughest and who's the best, specifically on the day that we all agreed to show up at a specific weight class and a specific rule set. So, if you're telling me you're not tough enough to even leave the locker room, sounds like you lost to me. Sounds mm. like a forfeit. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. So what do you see in the character of the fighters today as compared to when you first started? And I'm talking about for right now just the character in the ring. What well, I will tell you that- – the guys in my initial era, and I'm still part of this current era. I just retired 18 months ago. But originally, there was a lot more gratitude. Um, it wasn't about the fame or the fortune. There was no fame and there was no fortune. Uh, it was about having a goal and having an opportunity to compete. And it was so tough 
to have those opportunities to compete. There wasn't enough shows. Even Dana White with the UFC, now he's doing 50 shows every year, one, one show a week. But he used to do five. And, you know, it was so competitive to try to be on one of those cards because there were so few. And guys would just never miss that opportunity. And now, as soon as a guy gets a little bit of shine or he makes a couple of posters or he, he wins a match that was televised, he wants to sit down and renegotiate or he wants to sit out for a couple of fights. You're kind of just banging your head in a wall and go, man, it doesn't work that way. You can sit there as long as you want, but we are going to move forward and the world's going to move forward and the fans are going to move forward and the rankings are going to move forward. And you either want to participate or you don't. And, and Alex, you would be stunned how many of these guys that love to walk around and brag that I'm in the UFC with a shirt across their chest do not actually want to be there. Wow. That's something. It is something, man. I mean, we just saw this problem in basketball uh, during last season, but but the new theme was to rest your players. And so LeBron, yeah. who would be there suited up and healthy, wasn't playing. In the NBA, their rankings were going down 60%. It's a business. It's a revenue. The commissioner went to the coaches. He said, hey, whatever your roster is, you gotta you got to play your team. And there was nothing within the actual rules that was requiring the GMs and the coaches to do that, but they – they got the memo from the from the top, and they did do it. But, I mean, it's a big deal. If you're in a sport and you've agreed to play, particularly when tickets are for sale and kids are coming and, you know, counting down the days, pulling on dad's arm and taking me to see LeBron tonight, and LeBron sits on the bench for no reason at all. It's I don't like it, man. I don't like it. you got to toughen up. These yeah. guys got to get a little tougher. That's crazy. So, you know, when you was coming up, whether, you know, before you turn pro or in college, when was there's a, a like a time, like a, a crossroads that you end up hitting, like where you're going to keep going in terms of like wrestling or fighting? Or are you like, man, I'm think I'm going to go this route or sure. were you, or did so, you just like burn the ships and like, man, I'm going, I'm doing this regardless of how I feel like this is, I'm meant to do this. Sports wise. I was all in on fighting. The only sport I did in my youth was wrestle. I, at a real young age, I played the football and the baseball, but by high school, I was locked in and just wrestling. So when I got done with college, I did have some visions of going into, uh, to WWE. It was called the WWF back then. And there was a training process and I went through that and I got invited. Um, but I just ended up going the route of, of MMA. We started to have a real hotbed in Portland. A lot of guys getting together that were working out, that were doing real well. So I latched on with those guys, and then, you know, eventually I met Clayton Hires, and that became my coach. So I just did what Clayton told me to do for, you know, for the next 15 years of my life. He never he never led me wrong. I, he, that man spoke, and I followed. That was it. I love that. Yeah. he's uh, uh, Yeah, he was a guest. He was a guest on the Shark Effect. He's a uh, man. He got some stories. <laughs> you know he beat Floyd Mayweather. Did you know that? Yeah. I remember, yeah. A lot of people don't know because senior, he doesn't tell yep. anybody. He beats senior only lost four fights ever. One of them was to Clayton. Clayton, Clayton wasn't overly that proud of it. Clayton doesn't tell people. I did not know that. Yeah, I knew he beat him, but I didn't know that Mayweather senior only lost four. Only lost what four fights. Went? Yep. Wow. Clayton whipped him, and Clayton ran into him a number of years ago. Clayton went into the Mayweather gym to get some work. I think with Uriah, but he went over to the gym, and senior was in there and saw him. And I said, well, did he pretend he didn't know you? And he said, oh, no. He walked right up. Okay. Walked right up and, and told me all the excuses that, that, that happened that night that he <laughs> that I could never do it again. <laughs> still, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Clayton was his, in his gym. He was a guest, so he didn't say anything back. He said, yeah. oh, it's, it's nice to see you, Floyd. He went, you know, went, went his own way. But, yeah, yeah. those old-time boxing stories, man, I love those. When you can get a hold of a couple of those stories, particularly out of the ring where the, the athletes run into each other, I find it very compelling. Absolutely. Um, so was there a time with you, like when you ran, oh, into, yeah. you ran into somebody and, you know, it wasn't as, uh, as, oh, I see. Uh, as I see. nice. No, there, no it, there was never that. There was always a camaraderie. You know, one of my favorite things in the sport was the camaraderie. Sometimes, you know, the guy pays you credit for something you did in your past, but sometimes you got to pay it to him. You know, I, I was with my wife one time, walked away and she said, who was that? I said, honey, that's the toughest man I've ever met. And she said, what happened? And I said, well, the year was 1997. I, I mean, I just started from there. So I, I, I'm happy to pay their dues. You know, I was happy to meet these some of these great talents, even if I was on the other side of a decision from them. But some of these guys, you know, they, they outworked me or I'd learned something from them. I'll tell you, though, Coach, I was in Japan. I had a fight in Japan. And uh, the fight went all three rounds. I quit about two minutes in. It, it went 15 minutes. 
And I went in the hallway and I was at complete peace. I sat down, I got my cell phone, I made an international call to my mom and I said, I am all done. And that was, uh, that was around 2000, 2001. I went on to fight another uh, 18 years. I was about to say. But, <laughs> yeah, that was a moment. That was a moment I wasn't getting back from that one. It was a level of exhaustion. I got so tired against this guy. I was dominant. I was whipping him. I was whipping him. And about two minutes in, I couldn't, I couldn't move. So I hung around as a punching bag for the next, for the next 13 minutes of a 15-minute match. But I was at peace. I really, during that fight, at some point, I retired from the sport. I knew how the decision was going to go. I walked out. I put my shirt on. I called my mom. I said, this is it. I flew home, and, you know, she, she talked to me a little bit once I got home and said, well, you don't have to do the sport anymore, but, you know, you got to finish out the week of practice. So we went into practice, and then by then I forgot. And I was a grown man. I mean, that's something you pull on a child. I had that pulled <laughs> on me by my mother as a grown man. But um, I did have to find ways to train because I was getting tired. I was getting really tired out there. I used to get real tired in my wrestling matches, too, where, where my fear going into the match was never winning or losing. My biggest fear was getting exhausted and not being able to defend myself. And I went in and started working with doctors. I had like I've heard, I always heard the term sports doctor, but I didn't know what that meant. I thought like if your shoulder hurt, they knew how to fix it. You know, oh, I know a baseball player by that shoulder, if it's, you know, throwing the ball. No, they pulled blood work. He knew exactly scientifically why I was getting fatigued and what it had to do with. He was telling me things about myself, but just by reading my blood chart about how much I slept at night and how many calories I took in, it was all spot on. So we made some very basic changes. I had a vitamin D uh, deficiency, which a lot of people in Oregon have because we don't have enough sun. That's right. I mean, I just changed a couple of things, and all of a sudden I went from being able to go hard for two minutes to about seven minutes. But that's still you know about a 300% return just by – taking my shirt off and going outside and get some more vitamin D. It was a big deal. It was good advice. And I was happy I got it. Oh man. That's yeah. That's cool, man. Um, man, I'm interested because, you know, we both professional athletes and, you know, you give so much to the sport and, you know, we get the benefits, right? We get the benefits of being on a team, the camaraderie, the money. And I know for me, that platform, my abilities, and then what my character, right, it got wrapped in to to this sport. So then when the sport, when I stepped away, I didn't want to step away. Now, I wanted to keep playing. Don't get yep. me wrong. But when I stepped away, like a big part of me was gone. And when I started to look back and I had like a, you know, I had a moment where basically, this, you know, this 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 lady had told me like, I mean, I went for a job interview and she basically, after asking me questions, she said, Alex, you don't know who you are. And I was, man, I was crushed. And so I'm just, you know, I wanted to ask you, man, do you, in terms of like in the sport that you played and that you fought in, was that so wrapped up into your character or you already had a good vision of yourself? No, I was kind of like you. I was pretty one dimensional. And, um, you know, a lot of coaches preach that. A lot of coaches will tell guys, you know, you have your whole life to do, you know, fill in the blank. But you have a small window to do this. I've heard that before. I've never known if that's helpful. I don't tell that to my own guys that I coach. You know, sometimes I think it's good if a guy has a few interests. Practice is only hour in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. There's a lot of time in the day. I like, I like for a guy to have more interests. But I was like you. I didn't have the most impressive resume. I, I was really good at this thing that I'm no longer doing. And, um, you know, it, it, it was just one of those things where there was a learning curve and there was a transition. I like to read. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of stayed read up on books and whatnot, but I definitely do walk around life right now with a very rare skill set that is extremely unuseful. Like there's not really a time when I'm going to need a jab into a double leg, into a, uh, a rear naked choke. You know, those, you know I, I got those skills and I'm proud of them, but they're, they're wildly unuseful at this point in my life. <laughs> You know, I never thought about having a podcast. Like, I've only listened to maybe five or six podcasts in my life. And I end up stumbling across Jeannie and Michelle in their podcast, Accelerator. And it's a six-week course, but it helped me understand what podcasting is all about. Like, it's not as scary as I thought it would be. And it was really simple once you got a system and so they helped me out tremendously and right now they're going to be holding another podcast accelerator group um, in march 
but I suggest you check out their their two minute quiz. And so you can download it. You can check it out on my on the um, on the show notes and it will tell you if you're a good fit and what your podcast should be about. If you want to raise your platform, if you want more people to to listen and hear what you have to say, and, and if it's important, if you want to share it, then you got to get help. I thought that I had to do it all by myself, but with Jenny Michelle and the podcast Accelerated, it helped me to see the bigger picture and it simplified it, creating a podcast for me. So check it out and trust me, you'll be thinking. Okay, back to the show. <laughs> okay, now, did you have somebody that can help you? Like navigate that, like finding out, like man, who you are, and then like the others, the other things that that you can be good at. Because I mean, you successful, you got man a wire a wildly popular podcast. Um, you know, I'm just interested because like I didn't like it took me a while to kind of figure out who I was, and I so so much that I needed a coach. I needed somebody, not like a coach, like a sports coach, but like a a uh, personal development coach. And his name is sure. Eldridge Broussard. And uh, it took me a while to kind of link up with him. But once I did, man, he kind of opened up, opened up like my mind to who I was, the celebrity that I had and how I can use it to to get what I want. First, I got to sure. figure out who I was. And yeah. so he helped me with that. So I'm interested to hear, you know, did you have somebody like that? I would give that to Clayton. Clayton and I used to do something he would call the coach's run. And the coach's oh, run is the hardest workout I've ever done. Yeah, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done physically in my, my time on earth. But the coach's run wasn't. That meant he was going to go with me. That meant we were going to go at his pace. So we we're going to do the same run that was two and a half miles straight uphill, two and a half miles. Now you got to come down the hill. But we would do it at coach's pace, and so we would visit. We would visit the whole time. And whether that was about the upcut, that was the first day of camp was always start with the coaches run. So everything from, you know, what do you weigh? What do we need to work on? Where do we need to zero in as we see this opponent? But then it would get into more of life stuff. I mean, it would get all the way down to the girl that you're going to marry, uh, how you need to find her, what she's going to be like. But Clayton was very big in telling me, you are only going to fight for a little bit of time. And it's mm -hmm. going to go by like that. He said, even if it's years from now, it's going to feel like tomorrow. You need to be out there looking. And if this is the sport you like or something, there's broadcasting opportunities that you could be a promoter yourself. But he used to say these things and say, you know, start looking, start looking in these directions. There's ways to stay involved. And it's very tough, Alex, you know, to, be, to participate in the sport that I came from of mixed martial art. It's very tough to participate without being in the ring, getting, you know, with the punches and the kicks. There's not a lot of commentary gigs or, um, you know, some of the build-up shows, the podcasts, like you mentioned. There's not a lot. And so it gets real competitive, which is fun. I like to compete. Um, but as far as having a skill and knowing how to do it, no, man, I kind of had to, I, I kind of started with the vision and then got the skill second. Mm, that's good. Like having a vision and, uh, yeah, I, I want to ask you, man, because you kind of, I know I did over, I think Conor McGregor, maybe it was two fights. I, it was the fight after when he threw the chair and yep. acting all crazy and, yep. and all that good stuff. And then when I saw his next fight, he had changed. He had he had changed like how he um, actually his character, which is who he is. He changed, and I come to find out that he had hired Tony Robbins as his as his coach. And I was like, man. So I know I wasn't the only one, right? Sure. But, but when he did that it kind of put a spotlight on what a coach can do. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Did you, did you know that he had Tony Robbins or did you, I mean, did you see a change with him? I, I can't remember the, the, the gentleman that he fought. He fought a guy named Cowboy Cerrone. And That's all of a sudden, yes, Connor was very different. It was almost like he was on a PR tour or a, an apology tour. And uh, it was a, a very different approach. I found it very uh, refreshing. I liked polite Connor. I liked the showman Connor, but I liked polite Connor that's just a little bit more real as to who he is without turning up all the theatrics. I did see it and notice it. I did not know that about Anthony Robbins. Uh, and that doesn't surprise me now that you say it. 
I know a number of people that have gone to Anthony Robbins, and man, they didn't just like him; they loved him. They rave about how he changed their life with just you know positive thoughts and interactions and different perspectives and ways to look at things. But that makes me feel very good that that Connor went out and got help. You know, should never be afraid to ask for help. It doesn't matter if you're famous or powerful or rich, man. We all need help. I'd help anybody, but I need people to help me too, you know, and sometimes it's with something as simple as advice, but I think if you're in a community, that's what you do, man. If you got something to give, help the other guy out. Absolutely. And you know, it's so tough because when you reach that, when you reach that type of, um, I guess, fame and you have your circle of your, of your, your guys or girls, whatever, but Man, people don't often tell you the truth. They want to tell you, sure. all the, you know, all the other stuff. They don't come at it like, man, do you know how you look? And, sure. And, and then if you do, are you okay with that? Because sure. you're because you're, you're the one picking up the check, right, Alex? You're the one right. picking up the check. No one's gonna set you straight when you're paying the tab. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's why I was like, man, when I got my my coach with Eldridge, and and what he's doing now with his repurposed brands. It's a character coaching program, and he helps athletes. It's not just athletes, but he helps people, man, like figure this thing out. It's like, man, what do you want? And then let's work backwards. And so, you know, I've teamed up with him, and it's like, man, my passion, it, it was playing football, and then it's helping other athletes become better athletes. But now I want to help those athletes become better people. Sure. And it was like something that, man, I wish I I wish I would have had this like somebody telling me like how I looked and what I what did I want out of life or out of my sport outside of my sport. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I disagree with your assessment of yourself. I don't see you as as athlete or coach. I see you as father first. And if if people got to know your kids like I, you got the best damn kids. You have the nicest, most polite kids who all like one another. Every son likes the daughters and the daughters all like the, I mean, you, you, you have mastered being a family man. I think you should give yourself a little bit more credit in that. And also it turned out you played some football and you coach, but I look at you as a father first, man. That's how I, if I need advice from you, first thing I'm going to ask you is how do you get them kids to like one another so much? <laughs> well, thank you very much. And it's, it's, it's like, you know what, you know us, you know, we know you. So not everybody knows like the, you know, the Alex, I don't have, uh, you know, relationships, a, a whole bunch of them. But, you know, I'm, you know, I've gone through hiccups, ups and downs, especially with parenting, because, um, you know, my dad, he was a drill sergeant. I was scared to death of him. And that's something I didn't want my kids to ever, you know, to ever feel. And so I just make sure like, you know, he taught me a lot and I know he loved me, but I want a little bit more. And so I'll make sure, like, man, I just, I didn't, my kids know they love me and I want them to hear it from me on a daily, sure. daily basis. So just like anything else, man, practice, you know, yep. I, I yep. practice it and making sure that they, you know, give each other respect. And that's one thing, like we can, you know, we'll, you know, we'll give them free time. They can do all type of stuff, but look, you, you treat each other you treat people with respect. I don't care how many, how fast, how, what type of uh, athlete they are. Number one is how do you treat people? It's like yep. their their character. Yep. So, and speaking of character, man, like you have this this character when you were in the ring that just like I don't you didn't want any friends. You didn't want anybody. I to wanted like to you. be. I was the bad to, guy. You were. The I wanted to be Hulk Hogan. Yes. 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 You were Hulk Hogan when he turned to the you know the, uh, the dark side. Sure. Was that a plan or was that, did it, or did it just it, evolve? It became one. You know, I had a major chip on my shoulder. I knew right where I stood in the world when I was in amateur wrestling. Amateur wrestling has a competitive architecture, which simply means the, the best guy is going to win. There's going to be a line bracket. There's going to be no promoter. There's going to be no seeds, no draws. We're going to put you guys together over a weekend and one guy's coming out of this thing. It doesn't have that in MMA. There's so much politics involved. So I knew where I stood in amateur wrestling. I made it to the world final. And, uh, you know, I was the second second best in the world at, at my chosen field. But when I went into MMA, I had two teammates that were both world champions. 
And I couldn't even get into the organization. And I never knew if it was because they were keeping me. I never knew why I couldn't get in, but I couldn't get in and I could beat world champions and did on a daily basis. So I started to have this real chip on my shoulder. I was genuinely angry about that and it was driving me. And so when I would get a microphone or I would be doing an interview, I would say my piece, which is just that. They're keeping me out. There's too many politics. This is not a competitive architecture. And if it was, I would have already been champion. I'd have been champion five years before I ever got my shot in the organization. I told anybody that would listen. And the fans did not like that. They thought that was brash. They thought that was uh, unhumble. And like, you know, we, we call ourselves mixed martial arts. So when you think of the martial arts, you kind of default back to Hollywood and what you saw Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee do that was about honor and it was about bowing. It was about respect. Man, my dad taught me to fight a different way. My dad told me there is no first punch business. The first punch is thrown as soon as he steps into range. You see somebody come, you try to defuse it. But if he steps within range, that's the first punch, and you might as well be the one that takes it. So I just had a little bit of a, of a different perspective on what honor and respect was. And the more I started sharing that, oh, the angrier they got. But the angrier they got, the later on the card I was fighting and the more money I was fighting for. So – at that point is when it became deliberate. At that point, I go, okay, I'm just going to steer into this. I am going to be the Stone Cold Steve Austin of this. I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to stand alone. Um, I don't need any anyway. I got Clayton. I don't need anybody else anyway. <laughs> We're in the fight business. And I remember having, and then I was even angrier. Like my life, I was walking. I don't have any anger now. I'm, I'm happy and really glad the way it went. But at that time in my life of being a young man trying to, you know, come up in a, in a business that was trying to keep you out, um, there was a genuine anger that was very good for motivation. You know, how much of it was true and how much I manufactured, I, I really don't know. But at that time in my yeah. life, I believed it. And it got me out of bed every morning at 5 a.m. It got me, you know, to practice two and three times a day. And it moved me up It moved me up the card. I'd walk into those arenas. They'd be sold out. They'd be throwing drinks at me. They hated me. <laughs> oh, my God, they hated me. But that was so fun. You know, you really got to evoke an emotion. The one thing, I'll, I'll tell you this from characters, the one thing that I have noticed in every movie, every play or every book I've ever been part of, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. And everybody was trying to be the good guy. So when I quickly realized nobody even wants to be the bad guy, I can be the biggest, we call it a, a heel, the biggest heel in the business, just by raising my hand, I will be the number one bad guy in the whole bit just by saying I want to be. And when I went down to that end of the pool, man, there was nobody swimming down there. It was just me. So if they ever needed a bad guy, and every story has a bad guy. That's what promotion is. People miss that. Promotion is storytelling. Yeah. It's very hard to tell a story without a bad guy. And that's where I came in. And I got a lot of opportunity for it, but I, I was never faking it. I, I always I was just speaking it. But I, I was I was an angry young man, angry white kid from the streets of Westland. You know what it's like. I had to see things. I had to see things your listeners don't know about. There, there was times. There was times it was so hot we had to go jump in the swimming pool just to cool off. Man, it was disgusting what I went through. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, man. I loved. Uh, you know, you're talking about being the bad guy. Like for us playing football, I love going on the road. I love being booed. It just, it made me, you know, it gave me uh, that chip, that chip on my shoulder. And it was like, man, I love, are you kidding that? I love, I remember, you know, they they yelling out, talking about my mama, talking about my brother. <laughs> and I was just, oh, I played at a whole nother level. Yep. Yeah. No, I love that too, man. When I was in college, college wrestling, not very many people are going to show up. If I wrestle in front of a huge crowd, it'd be about a thousand people. And I get that once a year. But I was with the University of Oregon. We competed in something called MacArthur Court. And then at Oregon State, it was called Gill Coliseum. And Gill Coliseum was my favorite place to go. It was right up the road. It was the Civil War of wrestling. The thousand people came out, but they hated us and they booed us in the energy. And it was just one of those things, you know, that I would just look forward to, even at that point in my life where you're starving yourself. There's no money in college. It's a lot of hard work. But um, I'm with you. You know, I loved it. And if you are a heel, if you enjoy being the bad guy, then then, then boos are your cheers. When you hear the crowd booing, that's when you get a sense of, I got you. You don't know me. I created this. I created the identity, and you all fell for it. I win. And I used to have that. I used to, I mean, there was Coke. Clayton can tell you. We'd be Coke hits right in the chest, ice, and, you know, wiping it off, going to the ring. Turn to that person and tell them I'll see you in just a minute. I mean, it was all an act. I didn't care about that pop. <laughs> I love pop. I love Coca-Cola. But I had them, man. I had them. I 
cost that cost five dollars in a stadium like that. He just threw me five dollars at that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, when did when did you start thinking about um, life after fighting? Well, it was an absolute last minute deal. I mean, I remember I was going to be the guy. And some of the guys I looked up to, uh, a guy named Randy Couture, who might ring a bell. And yep. Randy Couture, though, Randy Couture is the guy that Brett Favre looked up to. Brett Favre was trying to come back at 42, and Randy had just come back at 44 and won the world title. So Brett Favre even went out to Las Vegas and took him to dinner. They were total strangers. He said, man, I've been following your sport. Just How are you doing this? Mentally and physically, how are you doing this? How are you looking at it? How are you perceiving each day? What are you doing for recovery? And Brett Favre really picked his mind. I name-dropped Brett Favre because uh, Randy was who I looked up to, and Randy made it all the way to 47. And Man. that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to beat Randy. If Randy fought till 47, I want to fight till 48. And being able to extend your career, I always saw as a major uh, accomplishment. I really thought those guys that could, could extend their careers at a very high level knew something the rest of us didn't. So I was going to do that. So I never even thought about retiring ever. And then um, I've been told, though, and it's a very true expression. People told me this, but now I will tell people. You are never done with this sport, but one day you will wake up and this sport is done with you. And I just remember that day. It was fight day, but I remember getting up and I remember, I just remember how I was taking a shower. My shower takes about six minutes. It took nine. And I remember brushing my teeth and getting ready. It takes about two minutes and it took me four. And I, I just remember I'm slowing down. This is it. So I was, I was down in the arena that night and I was warming up with Clayton and it was just, it, I was just things were just off. And I knew in my head right then, if, if this doesn't go well, I'm not coming out of that ring a, a current fighter. And it did not go well. And I took those gloves off. I never made that mistake again. And Clayton said, you made a good choice, champ. You're slowing down, aren't you? And I said, yes, I can feel it. I'm slowing down. <laughs> he said, yeah, I felt it tonight, too. He said, I was going to have this talk with you. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So but it was one of those deals, you know, I don't, I don't look back at, at, at all. I am really grateful that, um, you know, to go into my forties and, uh, my last fight, I was 42 years old as a Madison square garden. I mean, it was kind of a, one of these great yeah. moments, even, even in defeat though, I had a lot of good memories with it. And I, um, I've had some regrets, man. And, and with you, it, that's the, one of the hardest things is a regret. It's not the losing. I, uh, amateur wrestling though. I, I really wanted to tr uh, push till 2004, try to make that Olympic team. Mm -hmm. And I stopped in 2003. I focused fully on MMA. And I have looked back a number of times. If I could have just hung in there one more year, what have I made the Olympic team? What have I made my goal? So I didn't want that anymore. I didn't want, even if I got to lose and get carried out of here, I want to know that I'm done. I've left it all. I've tried it all. I've got my answer. Don't like the answer, but I got it. There you go. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Of, yeah. What type of advice would you give, like the, um, let's say the twenty-two-year-old Chael Sonnen, like what you've learned over the years? Is there any type I of wish advice? I, I really wish I would have had a little bit more of an open mind when I got into this sport. It was still wrestlers dominating everybody else, and I stayed in that mindset when I was in the room of jujitsu players and had an opportunity to learn their craft or when I was in with karate, taekwondo, boxing guys and had an ability to learn their craft. And I thought by rejecting the craft, I was showing respect to my art of wrestling. But I look back and it was really wasted time. It was times that I could have really used to evolve, to become a better fighter, to understand more positions, um, you know, as much as I, I tell you with Clayton and I, rule number one was work, 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 work. That's true. That's rule number one. But there's still other pieces of it. You know, the, the pie gets cut in a few slices there. And understanding strategies and techniques just by having a more open mind. I was around the great coaches, the great athletes. But there was times where I thought I knew more. I thought I uh, knew too much. And it was right around that age that you point, right around that 22 to, to 25. And then you look back and go, man, I didn't know anything. I got to start listening to people better. But that time's gone. You know, you lost some valuable years and I, I regret it. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested, man. Do you do you help out any uh, any young fighters? Like if they shoot you a, a text or a DM or if they're a phone call, do they, you know, ask you for, you know, for some insights? I will help the fighters with contacts. I, I'm a coach at the high school. 
both through the the all phase wrestling club but i'm on the official staff of westland high school for wrestling so uh okay. that's where i would that's where i would be of most help and that's what i'll write them back hey if you need wrestling help i'm your guy be it and i'll send them the address they'd be here every night at five o'clock but um if i have met an established fighter that doesn't want to go in and roll around with with some of the high school kids because he's a little older. Um, I'll help him with contacts. I'll put him in touch with either the right manager or the right promoter. And then where it goes with that, it goes. I've got some favors built up, and I, I mean, I could call those favors in. I'd call Dana right now, and, and he would take my call. But um, I got to save that. I got to save that for my teammates. I got to save that for my guys. The rest of them I'll help, but the, the, the big can you get me a contract, yes, I can, but you got to be my guy. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. And it's like – I mean, I do the same thing in terms of like giving back with, you know, my knowledge and whatnot. I mean, I, I love it, especially I'll actually I only do it with people that are willing to hear the truth. So, you know, I'm coaching at the high school and I love being able to to give them, you know, pieces of my brain. So my knowledge. But as I've seen it over the years is I use that as a carrot to help them see some of the those same principles that, that can help them become the best football player that they can be, but also the best person that they can be. Boom. And it's like, you know, yeah. cause you know, cause they look up to you, man, cause you, we both reached some, you know, the highest, the highest level of our sport. And so with that, there's influence. And so now I kind of use that to help them become not just better at the sport. That's, that's a little, but I want them to become better people. Yep. Hey, and I'll tell you, the, for the great football players, they do go hand in hand. A lot of those knuckleheads, I, you know, a minute ago we were talking about extending your career, but that's one thing they have in common. You know, you, be, you behave like an Antonio Brown type, but then your career gets cut shorter. You behave like a John Elway or a uh, – I always want to call this gentleman Manning that just, just won the Super Bowl again, but that, that's not right. Peyton Manning is what I want to call him. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Tom Brady, I've never looked on TMZ and seen him in handcuffs for a DUI or an altercation. I mean, he just he seems like a gentleman. I don't know him, but he seems like a gentleman that knows what he wants to do, which is get to practice each day, not have any distractions, and go try to have more points than the other guy when time runs out. I, I respect that. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's like for, at some level – like your ability, especially like in sports, in the sports world, like your ability is going to cause you to go way up. You're going to do a lot of good things and it's going to it's going to surpass your character. But then all of a sudden, especially with Antonio Brown, you said Antonio Brown, but what he did on national on HBO and then moving forward, like his ability was overcome by his his I won't say lack of character, but of his character and how he was being. And he just thought that. You know, his shit don't stink. And it finally caught up to him where he was almost untouchable. Yep. And it's like, man, I want to help athletes not get to that level and yep. understand that, man, your ability, and it's going to last for a certain amount of time. But then what happens when that ability starts to go down? Sure. Yeah. And it and will. It will. You know, when we go blue in the face trying to tell athletes this is not going to be forever. This is a window. You are one twisted knee. You are one bad decision. And I see that particularly in young men. You know, the young men, 18 to 25, is a very dangerous time. I, I went and visited the prisons. I was invited out there a year ago. And, Coach, you'd be stunned. My biggest takeaway when I left the, those boys at prison is, wow, I just met a lot of nice young men who made one bad mistake. I couldn't believe it. It was not, it was not what I thought I was going to find in there. I went in there ready to look down my nose, and uh, that's not what I found. I found a lot of nice – and they, all their stories were the same. When I bring up 18 to 25 years old, all of them involved alcohol. All of them, it was after midnight. I mean, you could start to break it down into these categories – and go, you know, that's one thing about co you and I are coaching now uh, without patting ourselves on the back. But one real service that we do, it, it isn't teaching kids a craft. It's sending them home tired. And in those age groups, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I still go in the room every day. I want to take those kids not just to teach them the techniques. I want to make sure when I'm done, they go home and they're tired. And they can't be doing all that. They can't be going They can't out. be doing all that. <laughs> That's yeah, right. you want to sit down and play video games because that's all the energy you got, my friend. You go right ahead. That's it. Fire that box up. <laughs> tell, but stay inside. Yeah, right. Tell tell us about your uh, your podcast. You're welcome. 
Yeah, my podcast, it's called You're Welcome. It's available wherever they wherever they do podcasts, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and iTunes. I go for about an hour and I do it uh, twice a week, really MMA themed. I would love to branch out and have other topics than MMA, but um, it largely is just MMA. And then, you know, I don't have very many hobbies in life. The thing I like next to MMA, I like politics. But if you, if you talk politics, you just pissed off 50% of your listeners. So I, I kind of try not to do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> And then I, I think of myself as a movie critic as well. I, I, I'm a, an unpaid, unofficial movie critic. I used to do that. I used to be paid in college. I worked for Wallace Theaters. And uh, every now and then I'll give you a movie review. Oh, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Chael. Man, it's been uh, enlightening, you know, hearing your perspective on things, especially on, you know, athletes and 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 you know your life and what you've been up to uh, it's been real refreshing man hey coach coach before you go i got i gotta ask you there's a new joke going around let me see if you've heard it what's six feet tall charming and disappears in an instant thanks for listening to this week's episode of the shark effect podcast if you enjoyed what you heard today please share it with a friend And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paperback version. Or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition. Whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever. If you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership which is influence and you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making that can help you with influencing others and how are you influenced i have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment alignment and adjustment um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you okay and then developing your own standards so these are things that can help anybody not just not just athletes now there's some stories in there you know that covers topics that that resonate with athletes but i think overall this book can help Um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure, check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.